So I want to speak to you on faith that fights. So if you have a Bible, 1 Timothy 6.12. 1 Timothy 6.12. And uh, would you just stand uh, one more time for the reading of God's Word? I, I want to let you know out there um, in the back, there's a, a series called What Does Love Have to Do With It? It's a balanced message, three, on God's love. Some of you heard me preach one of those messages here. And... Um, I preached the seventh man. God woke me up, and he said to me in October of 2008, there's nothing you can do that would cause me to stop loving you because there was nothing you did that caused me to start loving you. And, and that was born, these, these messages, out of a time where God revealed his unconditional love to me. And then there's the battle for the family. I think there are three or four messages out there dealing with uh, the three chairs, stories to tell your children. <laughs> I laugh because when Brooke was little, I would go in her room and I would say, Brooke, I'm going to tell you a story. They wanted me to tell them stories every night. And so I would go in and, and I knelt down. I said, Daddy's not going to tell you a story tonight. I, I'm going I'm to sing a song to you. And she goes, oh, Dad. She goes, she goes please don't sing. And um, I said, why? She said, because when you sing, you give me a headache. <laughs> Crush me. But... Um, this one here is a fifth sparrow, a single on rejection. If you've ever battled rejection in your life, uh, this, this message will, will set you free. Never again. Uh, talk about a never again experience. Mercy is above the law. And lastly, for any donation at all, if you gave in the offering, we'd like to get this in your hand to pray. Uh, Terry's going to Cambodia uh, in February, and there we are joined up with a ministry to help rescue girls out of uh, prostitution. And these bracelets were made by girls that were rescued. And it just says radical reality on it. And if you'd like to get one of those afterwards, I mean, it just to pray for that ministry outreach. Uh, there in Cambodia, Terry will be leaving in February with a team. And they're going to go down there and have outreach. The Lord's gym is there. It's a tremendous opportunity for ministry. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. How many know a good fight is a fight you win? A bad fight is a fight you lose. Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When I uh, was in elementary school, I finished sixth grade, and back then they had the junior high or middle schools were seventh and eighth grade. Now you got sixth, seventh, and eighth, sometimes they're middle school, or seventh, eighth, and even ninth in some parts of the country. But back in that day, it was 7th and 8th. And I remember going for, uh, from 6th grade to the 7th grade, and the first day the campus looked so big, and you're trying to figure out your locker combination, and everything was new. And there was a kid that was in our school. His, he was an 8th grader. He was a big kid, and he was the school bully. And, and he just pushed people around. And, and I remember as we were getting off the buses, he came up to my friends, and he said, tomorrow you're going to give me your lunch money or I'm going to beat you up. And so he started collecting um, the, the, uh, my, my friends' lunch money. And I would try to avoid him and, and get around, and he never really made eye contact with me. I didn't make eye contact with him. He was a big kid. He was in the eighth grade. And he cornered me the third week of school, and he said, tomorrow I want your lunch money. So I went home and I told my dad, and my dad, he, he's just a, he's a man's man, you know. My dad is half Cherokee Indian, half Irish, and not a man that really, really um, just spoke a lot other than he would, when he spoke, he meant it. And I said, I told my dad, I said, Dad, I said, this kid wants my lunch money. My dad just looked at me and said, you're going to have to fight him. I said, sir? He said, you're going to have to fight him. And I didn't have an opportunity to tell my dad how big he was. He was in eighth grade. I was seventh grade. And my dad would say, don't talk about it, just be about it. And, and so the next day, I, I went to school knowing that I was going to have to fight Larry Hall. And I um, went to the biggest kid in the school that was the toughest, an eighth grader. And he, he wasn't a bully, but this kid was a fighter. He was a golden glove boxer. His dad was a, was a, um, a light uh, weight uh, professional fighter. 
And I went to him and I said, listen, I'm going to fight Larry today. And if he's beating me up, stop the fight. I said, but if I'm winning, I said, just let it go. He goes, Donnie, he goes, Larry is big. He goes, he's big, man. I said, I know he's big. I said, but my daddy told me I got to fight him. He wants my lunch money. And I said, I can't get my lunch money. And, and so uh, I walked over to Larry, and uh, he turned around, and I punched him in the nose as hard as I could. And then um, he just came at me with everything, and we were fighting. It was, it was recess time, and we fought for, during the whole recess. And he got me down, and he was squeezing me, and, and uh, he had his legs around me, squeezing the air out of me, and I was just fighting him, and they broke us up. And I went to my PE class, and I walked in PE, and I had a big black eye, and I'm looking at my black eye in the mirror, and um, after PE, I come out, and there he's standing, and he's charging me again. So I had a big binder in my hand. I hit him in the head with the binder, and we just started fighting again. <laughs> They broke it up, and I went to my class, and by seventh period, I hear on the intercom in the classroom, Donnie Moore, come to the principal's office. And so the, the teacher in the classroom said, you better get down there. So I walk in, and Mr. Panzika was the, president, uh, the principal of the school, and I walk in, and, and Mr. Panzika set me down and said, I heard you've been fighting today, Donnie. And I said, yes, sir. I said, I have. I said, uh, Larry Hall's been taking lunch money. He's been taking lunch money from, from the kids and uh, my friends. And, and he said that he was going to take mine today. And I, I told my dad last night, and my, my daddy told me I had to fight him. And um, <clears throat> so Mr. Panzika said, yeah. He said, you fought him. He said, you broke his nose, and uh, he's at the hospital. He said he's getting some stitches in his head. He said, um, uh, go back to class. And on the way back to class, Mr. Panzika, he, he, he said, hey, Donnie. And I said, yes, sir. He said, I don't think he's going to ask for your lunch money anymore. And I said, okay. And uh, that's how we dealt with bullies in our day. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying, I'm not, because <laughs> I, I do, and I don't tell that story in the schools because it would encourage people to fight. But I, I, I'm making a point here. There's some times when you just have to fight. There, there's sometimes when, when you get in a situation and you're going to have to fight. And I ask you the question this morning, are you fighting for faith or is faith fighting for you? Are you fighting for faith or is faith fighting for you? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Moffat translation puts it this way, now faith means that we're confident of what we hope for, convinced of what we do not see. God puts no limitations on faith, and faith puts no limitations on God. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to try this side over here. You guys look friendlier. I said that God puts no limitations on faith, and faith puts no limitations on God. Faith is in the now. Hope is in the future. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:6, faith pleases God. First, Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. And then he says in 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul says, I fought the good fight. It's one thing for him to tell you to fight the good fight. But Paul says later, he said, I have fought the good fight. Paul didn't say fight the good fight of Paul. He didn't say fight the good fight of Timothy. He didn't say fight the good fight of Peter. He said fight the good fight of faith. If he'd have said fight the good fight of Paul, it would have been Paul's fight. If he just said, fight the good fight of Peter, it would have been Peter's fight. If he just said, fight the good fight of Timothy, it would have been Timothy's fight. But he said, fight the good fight of faith. Now, we speak of faith as a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. We speak of it as a gift of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. But 1 Timothy 6.12 depicts faith as a weapon of the Spirit. The essence of this scripture is my faith is what fights for me. Fight the good fight of faith. Which means, ultimately, that it's faith's fight. How many know that we need our faith to fight for us in this hour? Life has no questions that faith cannot answer. What is it in this hour of dilemma and despair that's going to fight to keep you intact as a Christian? What is it going to rise up a mighty pillar of truth against the onslaught of the enemy? What is it's going to punch holes in this present darkness we're living in? What is it's going to fuel our vision for revival in this area? 
It's faith. It's not going to be the politician, the economist, the philosopher, the professor, the so-called theologian, or the secular humanist that's going to give us answers in this hour. The thing that's going to keep us in this crisis hour is faith in God, faith in his word, faith in prayer, faith. My faith is what's fighting for me. The Bible says the just shall live by explanation. The Bible says that just shall live by opinion. No, the Bible says that just shall live by faith. And there are many things I struggle against. They're not my battle at all. And I get frustrated. I begin to worry and fear comes in. And I become more problem conscious than power conscious. Faith has never lost a battle. Ask Moses, Joshua, David, Enoch, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses. Faith has never lost a battle. By faith, Noah rode a storm into a rainbow. By faith, Abraham and Sarah birthed a promise into a people. By faith, Moses made a rolling sea a traveling surface. By faith, Rahab was transformed from a prostitute to a princess. By faith, Gideon went from a coward to a commander. By faith. Now, there's a difference between faith and a miracle. See, a miracle would have put out the fiery furnace for the three Hebrew children. But faith kept them in it while it burned. A miracle would have killed the lions in Daniel's den. But faith kept him safe as he walked among them. See, sometimes we want an instant miracle. Thank God for them. But sometimes we got to walk through some things operated in faith. See, you don't learn faith by the lecture method. You learn it in the laboratory of life. And God is not as interested in the impartation of faith as he is in the development of faith. And he knows that faith develops best when it's against something. How many know you can go into a weight room and you can look at the weights, but looking at the weights don't get you any stronger? I mean, it's gotten crazy. I travel a lot and I like to go to gyms and work out. They used to actually have weights in the gym. Now, it's a lot of machines. Thank God the Lord's gym here has some weights. People, I'm telling you right now, you go into this, a lot of gyms today, and they, they got bikes that you ride that go nowhere. You can climb stairs, but you never get to the top. Crazy machines. They got one I saw, and I know just ladies. I've never seen a guy on it, just ladies, and it... I guess it works their quads, but no guy gets around that machine unless he's kind of, unless he's some dude that's a little creepy watching a lady work out on there. Everybody say push. See, when you get under that weight and you begin to push it, that's when all of a sudden blood starts flowing into that muscle and it's activated and growth starts occurring as you push the weight off you. See, faith is ambition. It's never satisfied to be small. If you want to keep it, you must use it. And sometimes you'll talk about the facts of faith and other times you'll talk about the acts of faith. It's not enough to talk about the facts if you don't have the acts. Donnie, faith fights. Faith fights. Yeah, faith fights. What does faith fight? Faith fights fear. If you're taking notes, point, point number one, faith fights fear. I remember when Brookie, she just turned 23, but when she was about three and a half and she was battling with fear. My daughter, Brooke, she, she, she would sit there at night in her bed and just tremble. And the devil was just coming against her with fear. And I went into her room and I knelt down and I said, Brookie, I'm going to teach you a scripture. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, for God hasn't given us a spirit of fear but one of love, power, and a sound mind. And I would say, Brookie, say it after me. I would say, for God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. For God hasn't given me a spell of fear. 
I said, but one of love, power. But one of love and power. And a sound mind. And a sound mind. And I would say it over and over. And I said, Brookie, can you say that out loud to Daddy? For God hasn't given me a spell of fear, but one of love, power, and a sound mind. I said, now when you feel that fear, Brookie, I said, that devil comes in this room with fear, you speak that out of your mouth. She goes, yes, yes, sir, I, I will, I will. So I left the room, and I was standing there in the doorway, and I heard her just about two or three minutes went by. Devil, oh, devil. For God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and a sound mind. You get in the garbage can. <laughs> Faith and fear are enemies. Fear has torment. Any torment is not of God, it's the devil. Faith is the white corpuscles of the spiritual anatomy. Anytime infection bacteria gets in your body, your white corpuscles come surround and smother it. If you have active faith in your life, Anytime the bacteria of doubt, fear, error comes in, here come the white corpuscles of faith. Ta-da, ta-da, ta-da. Where are you going? A child of God has released me. Faith fights, conquers, and destroys fear. Man, what do we got to be afraid of? Bible says there's a man in the Bible, his name was Joseph Arimathea. He was the secret disciple because of fear. How I many know closet Christians get closet blessings? The first time you ever touched Jesus, Jesus was dead. Joseph was the one that buried him. Fear produces a deadness to the promises of God. The women got up one morning. They knew he was dead. They knew he was in the tomb. They knew the guards were there. They knew there was a rock across the entrance. They knew the king said, don't anybody go down there. But in spite of knowing all this, they said in faith, let's go anoint his body. These were the original Spice Girls. That's for you that are 30 and under. What about the soldiers? We're going. What about the king's orders? We're going. How are all these things going to be moved out? of? We're going. And when they got there, Jesus was alive. Because faith produces life to what is an apparently dead situation. And that's why our problem is not with dry services. The problem is with dry saints. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm just. Faith fights fear. What are we to be afraid of? The worst thing that could happen is we'd fall asleep in the eternal arms of Jesus. The Bible says God keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. One translation says, whose mind is stopped on him, Isaiah 26.3. You want peace in your life? Begin to focus on him. Begin to meditate on him. Begin to concentrate on him. Begin to dwell on him, and peace will come to your life. Faith fights fear. The second thing faith fights is feelings. You can't always depend on your feelings. If the devil finds out you live by your feelings all the time, he'll keep you as nervous as a termite in a yo-yo. Some of you will get that on the way home. <laughs> feelings change. The divine purpose of recovery, you can't walk by your feelings. It cracks me up. People all the time, well, Donnie, I don't feel like serving God, and you know, I just don't feel like I can really walk with God. It's hard. It's so hard. Life is so hard. It's hard being single. It's hard being married. It's hard being a dog. It's hard being a cat. It's hard being a parakeet. Life is hard. Get over it. Life's going to punch you in the nose. Life can be difficult. Young man came. He said, Donnie, I'm from a dysfunctional family. All our families are jacked up. We all got somebody crazy in our family. I went back to Virginia to do my uncle's uh, funeral, and they cremated him, and they had him in a urn. And what happened is my cousin, he, it's his dad, got mad at his stepmom, so he stole Uncle Leonard. 
put him in the trunk of the car. I'm there to do the funeral. And he stole Uncle Leonard. He's driving out of town. We had to call the police to retrieve Uncle Leonard so we could have the funeral. Then my cousins had a tray, and they were walking around at, at the, the funeral with a tray with all kinds of pills on it. And this cousin, would you like one? They were drugs. They were like passing them out like they were complimentary breath mints. Here, would you like? I go, no, I'm good. Then I had to go down to the bar and get my cousin, who uh, is a bouncer there in the bar. He's a bouncer. So I went down to this bar to get my cousin for the funeral. And uh, he's a big guy, and this bar is rough. I mean, it's so rough, they frisk you when you come in. If you don't have a weapon, they give you one. That's how... <laughs> I have crazy relatives, and I love them, but we all have some sort of dysfunction. Come on, some of you. Christmas is almost here. Some of them are going to be at your house. <laughs> That's right. And yeah, I tell you what's crazy is you ever get just gifts at Christmas, and you go, what in the world would they think? My mom used to say to me, Donnie, it's not the gift. You know, it's the thought. I'm thinking, what are they thinking when they bought it? <laughs> Feelings are like a sailboat. They go the way the wind goes. Faith is like a steamboat. It goes where the captain says. How do you think Noah felt? He'd never been on a boat in his life, and God said, build one. It's not a little bitty canoe. He's not building something in his garage. I mean, it, he didn't live next to the lake. There's no ocean in sight. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Put one window. Can you imagine one window? Two of every animal on the face of the earth. One window. I mean, no, there's some folks fighting for window time. It's like, I need some fresh air. <laughs> I can see his boys out there about 25, 30 years working on this ark, and people are walking by laughing, and one of the boys turns to his dad and said, Dad, could you tell us one more time what God said? What was fighting his feelings? It was faith in the God that called him to do it. The Bible says in Genesis 7, 5, and Noah did all the Lord commanded him. Job, how do you feel? The Bible calls him a righteous man. And everything went wrong. His children were killed. Fire fell on the sheep. The Chaldeans carried off his camels, and his wife backslid. Told him to curse God and die. And Job had friends, four of them. They came, and they sat in a circle for seven days and just stared at him. And finally, one friend said, you're a hypocrite. I'm sure Job was like, thank you for that word of encouragement. <laughs> Anybody else got something? Second friend, there's hidden sin in your life. I mean, there's some people when you're going through something, they might be a friend at a distance, but you're not calling them. I mean, you, I got a pain in my back. Brother, will you pray for me? Yeah, my aunt had that. She died in two weeks. Like, <laughs> what? The third friend, you failed God somewhere. The fourth friend, you're a sinner and a hypocrite. 18 chapters, where was Job's pastor? His Bible. He's sitting in a city dump, scratching himself with a broken piece of pottery. Can't you hear him? Shut up! I've listened to you guys for 18 chapters. <laughs> I don't know why my, my children are gone or my wife has backslid, but there's one thing that I do know. When it's all said and done, my Redeemer is going to stand on the earth. Faith fights fear. Faith fights feelings. And thirdly, faith fights facts. Facts and figures don't lie. That's true, but faith can overcome them, work in spite of them. Faith can neutralize them. Only faith in God will stop the enemy. Only faith in God can take Goliath's sword, sin to destroy you, and cut his head off with it. When I got saved in, in college, it was a result of steroids. Um, I was taking them illegally, and I got very sick. And after Cindy and I got married, the doctors told us we'd never have children. And we prayed one year, two years, three years. 
four years praying for a child. And I, I remember Cindy going to bed at night, and I would lay awake and pray. And some mornings I'd, I'd wake into my pillow wet with tears because I'd prayed all night and wept to, for us to have a child. And five years, six years, seven years, eight years passed believing God. And, and we looked into adoption. I was all for it. And, but God had put something in my heart that said he was going to have a baby. And after seven, eight years of praying, you know, the enemy's battling you with frustration and the facts of what the doctor said. And you're trying to stand on the word. And finally, Cindy says, she goes, I'm late. And I'm like, all right. And she wasn't late for work. She's talking about she's late. And I don't know why. I, I don't know why. But... Um, when you go to get, like, my, my wife said, go get a home pregnancy test. I didn't even know a home pregnancy test was back in that day. And, and I, I, they just started coming out, I guess, with them. I didn't even know what it was. So I went to the store to get a home pregnancy test. And I don't know why, also, when you go to get something like this, there's always a woman working. <laughs> True, my mom would send me, you know, to the store to get some feminine products for my sister and her. And I was a little boy, and I'm walking in like... There's always the lady working. So this lady takes me back to uh, show me the, all the latest uh, home pregnancy tests. I think there were three of them. And I, I'm just standing there in the store looking around to see if anyone at all knew me or I recognized anybody as I'm buying this home pregnancy test. So I get it. I go up to the counter, and the guy is getting ready to ring me up, and he grabs the microphone. He goes, price check at number nine, home pregnancy. I go, No! I grab, I grab his mic, I pull it down. I go, no, you, you're not doing that. I'll pay $30 for this thing. You're not. So <clears throat> I, I get the home pregnancy test home, and I say, Cindy, take it. She goes, you can't take it till morning. I'm laying there all night awake, and she takes it the next morning, comes out of the bathroom. She said, well, Donnie, I, I think I might be pregnant. I'm not sure. I go, what do you mean you can't be kind of pregnant? Either you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. She goes, go, go get another one. So I go, okay. I said, you're, you're going to go with me. So we, we go to the store. She's with me. And we go in, and she stops next to the magazine rack. And she's just kind of standing there. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I'll wait here. She goes, go get them. I said, you'll wait here? She goes, I shop here. I said, I was here yesterday. She goes, they know me. I go, they know me. I'm telling you right now, guys, we'll never figure women out. And I'm going to tell you why. God made them while we were asleep. See, Adam, Adam went to sleep single and woke up married. For all you single guys in here, I'm telling you right now, don't go to sleep when God's working. Adam went to sleep single, woke up married, and now I'm, I'm standing there with my wife. And I'm like, okay, I'll go get it. So I go get it. We get home. And she takes it, and the next morning, you know, of course, she's smiling. She goes, Donnie, I'm pregnant. Three days later, took a blood test, and, you know, we're like, yeah, we're going to have our first kid. Oh, man, we're so excited. I, I got all the books, Bradley Lamas. I, I think I told you the story, but it, it, it's just so crazy because I remember distinctly just um, reading about pregnancy, and, and I, I was like, so fired up, I, I realized that I could be the coach in, in the delivery room. Some of you men here, in, in your day, you didn't go in the delivery room. You're like, no, us men, we stayed outside. <laughs> now, you're not a man staying outside. You've got to go in the delivery room. You, you'll find out who's strong. You go in there. And I, I, I read all the books. I had the breathing techniques down. There's one called the feather breathing where you pretend there's a feather that drops to the ceiling. And you, and there's another one. It's called focus breathing, where she looks at you and you. I had that one down, and um, I, I knew what crowning was, potosia. I knew everything. I was ready. Water breaking. I'm all. I'm in. Studied it. Ready to go. And then we get in the delivery room. Every man for himself. Every all the she. She's like just jerking around. I'm going, you'll, 
Stop. So I, I read where you get crushed ice. So I got crushed ice. I put it on her lips. She goes, she spit it at me. So I put on some soft music. She goes, turn it off. I went over and I started rubbing her back. She goes, don't touch me. I said, listen, you're going to lose a good coach. You keep this off. I'm going to leave. I'm going I'm to take my hat, my clipboard, and my whistle and leave. You're losing a good coach. And then um, the, the, the contraction came real hard, and she just looked at me. And I'm, focus! And she's looking at me, and I'm going, breathe! <laughs> we got through that contraction. And, and then the next contraction came, and I was like, ha, 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 got through that one. And they started coming faster. And I was like, ha, 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 My fingers started getting tingly. I said, oh, my God, I'm, I'm hyperventilating. So I go, breathe. Ha, ha, ha. I'm holding on to the side of the bed. Yeah, big strong man, bitch 500 pounds on the side of the bed going, oh my God, I'm passing out. Ah, ah. I'm laying down and I hear the doctor say, you can push. I said, I'm too tired. I get up off the floor. This is a true story. I passed out. I get up, I get up off the floor and then and then the doctor says, my little girl's born. He says, you can cut the umbilical cord. That's what we get to do. I'm, I got the scissors. I'm, I'm so nervous. I was like, oh. The doctor said, that's my wrist. A very thin doctor. So I, I cut the umbilical cord, and then they hand little Brookie to me, and she opens her eyes. She goes, gah, gah, gah. And I was like, gah, gah, gah. I was like bawling. I mean, oh, faith fights facts. God said to Abram, I'm going to change your name to Abraham. What does Abraham mean? Father of nations. And Abraham said, I'll never stagger. I'll never get drunk enough in the things of this world of success to stagger at the promises of God. Sometimes we get so drunk on materialism and the things of this world that we stagger at the promises of God. What's your name, Abraham? Ten years pass. How many kids do you have? Zero. What's your name? Fifteen years have come and gone. Abraham, what is your name? Father of nations, 25 years. How old are you, Abraham? I'm 100. How old are you, Sarah? 90 and holding. Hey, have you two, have you studied eighth grade biology? But faith fights facts. And just as God promised Isaac was born, and his seed became as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore, because faith fights facts. Abraham, now Isaac is a young man. Take him to Mount Moriah. Man, this conversation, I heard Tim Delina describe as he was reading about an, uh, uh, a rabbi, he's going to be at already booked for a second camp. Tim is going to be there this year again. Um, and the conversation, according to this rabbi, most likely took place like this. Take your son. And Abraham says, I have two sons. The one you love. I love, I love both of my sons. Take Isaac. God will name the thing in our life that we're holding on to that he wants us to sacrifice to him. So whatever it is, it's not just that we're holding on to it. It's that God will name it. Take your son. I have two sons. Take the son you love. I love both my sons. Take Isaac. God just has a way of just getting right to the point. Now, he goes three-day journey to Moriah. He's going up one side of the mountain. What does he have? He has faith and a promise. See, we want explanations. We live in this culture that, you know, I just got my iPhone, and it's just fascinating. I haven't figured out everything you can do with it yet, but you can do so many things. I mean, it's really for lonely guys that just, hey, Siri, how are you doing today? I mean, it's like, 
I argue with her. I get so mad sometimes. Terry, get it right. Can you, what do you mean can't understand me? <laughs> yeah, it's a woman. And it was a computer. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. I mean, it's just one button. Just, you know, any definition, restaurant, anything you want. You just say it. It's there. And that's the culture we're used to. And, you know, it's like my boy. We're watching Steve McQueen couple of weeks back, the movie Bullet, Steve McQueen stopped and, and, he, and he made a phone call in a phone booth. And my 15-year-old boy said, what's that? I said, it's a phone booth. Phone booth? I said, yeah, it's a phone booth. If Superman was alive today, he'd have no place to change. Right. See, this generation technology is unbelievable, but I'm going to tell you something. We know how to communicate, but we've forgotten how to connect. And, and so because everything is so accessible to us, we don't want to live so often by faith because we want explanations on everything. We want the answer now, instant. Here's Abraham. He's going up one side of the mountain. How many know? We know the end of the story. Ram in the thicket. But I submit to you, that ram didn't get up there, didn't just appear there by itself. When Abraham with Isaac is going up one side of the mountain by faith with a promise, the answer's coming up the other side, but he can't see it. And sometimes we're walking this journey by faith, and we're believing, and we're serving, and sometimes we can't see. But when we get to the top, when we get to that place that God has called us, there's the answer. God's never late, in time, on time, every time. It's not always with our schedule. Let, let me wrap this up. Faith fights. What does faith fight? Any fear, feelings, facts, and lastly, fatalism. Have you ever felt like quitting? You ever felt hopeless? Donnie, people, they don't know what I'm going through, but faith does. 208, some of you are aware of, of what I went through. I was training to break the world record in the bench press for 50 and older. It was 50 to 53-year-old class. And at 50, I thought, you know, I had a good chance of breaking. I was benching well over 500. And so I went down to a store and bought supplements across a counter, not illegally, across the counter at a well-known supplement store. And I just want to say to all you young men, you got to be careful what you're buying today and what you're taking in your system this happened to be laced with a steroid. There's something about my system and steroids that cannot function coincide. So what it did, it threw off a chemical in my brain and it caused me not to be able to sleep. So I went a week, two weeks, almost three weeks without sleeping. And if anybody knows anything, you, you have to sleep. If you don't sleep, the serotonin can just literally leak out of your brain. And I went into a depression, a deep depression. Was there sin in my life? I mean, I confessed anything I'd thought about doing before, after, or things I did before I was saved. I, I did everything I could to try to get out of this dilemma. I got in a situation that began to spiral out of control. I'm not against antidepressants. If, God, if the doctor prescribed that for you and you need that to get help, I'm certainly for it, but I'm one of the 7% that can't take antidepressants. I've never been depressed a day in my life, and they put me on antidepressants, and I spun out deeper. I got to the point where I had thoughts of suicide. I, and 208 was the most difficult trial. It was so horrendous. Of course, Don Sue were praying for me, many of my friends standing with me, praying, believing, and holding on by a thread. And I remember one night, the enemy came to me and said, why don't you just curse God? And it was like, if you'll curse God, this pressure will lift. I said, I'll never curse you, God. I will never lose my faith in you. And I tell you what, I was, I was at a place where I was just ready to give up. But I just kept hanging on. You know what it's like to pray two, three hours a day and nothing changed? I was out of the pulpit for now, it had been five months I didn't care if I preached again. I, I just was hurting so bad. Eric Chavez, who was one of my spiritual sons, still is, uh, played for the Yankees last year, just signed a week ago with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He was our, one of our star players at the time with the Oakland A's. And he called me. He said, Donnie, I want to come and see you. 
I said, man, you don't want to see me, man. I said, I'm hurting. He said, yeah. He said, I'm going to find you wherever you're at. I'm coming. And he came with another player, Adam Melhews, and he said, we're going to get you to the A's doctor. The A's doctor has treated this before. He said, you're going to all these different people. I know we're praying for you. A lot of people are praying for you. So they got me to the Oakland A's doctor. And I'll forever be grateful because he looked at me, said, Donnie, and I can't name the players, but he said, I've treated this in other players. He said, in six weeks, he said, I'm going to bring you out of this. And they started giving me vitamin B shots and, you know, and, and then just changing my system and lining up. And they did a brain scan and they could find, it's just amazing technology today. And, and through prayer and through this man that connected me to one of the top urologists, everything just came into place. And within six weeks, boom. It was like I was back. Why, why did you share that with us, Donnie? This is why I shared it with you. Because what happens is, is that we get in places sometimes where we lose faith in God. Just because God did it in somebody's life beside you a certain way doesn't mean he's going to do it in your life the same way. And it doesn't mean God is not evident or relevant in your life. Maybe he's taken you a different way. It may take longer. It may be harder, more difficult. It may take years, but God knows how to take you where you need to be, and he knows how to get you there. Don't lose faith in God just because it, it's not happening instantly the way you want it to happen. See, God is just, but God is not fair. He's not fair the way we understand fairness. Because we say, well, God did it for me this way, so he's got to do it for you this way. He gave me a chance. he got to give you the exact kind of chance. No, he knows that I might not be able to handle what you can handle. And, and I may want something that I can't handle. Someone told me recently, well, Donnie, God, he's supposed to make me happy. He's not making me happy. God's responsibility is not to make you happy because your idea of happiness could kill you in six months. See, see, you lose faith in God because he didn't do it for you the way you heard he did it for someone else. He never told you he was going to give it to you the way he gave it to someone else. I know brother and sister came to church and we prayed over them and, and all their debt was paid off because they got an inheritance the next week. But you might have to make payments. No, nobody likes that, and, I, and I'm, I'm just going to be real with you. See, don't lose faith in God because he chose to take you through a process, and, and that process may be longer than the people you heard about. You'd be surprised the people in this room, even though they come to church, they lift their hands, they sing songs, but, but they've lost faith in God. They go through the motions of church, and we all have the same God, but he deals with us differently. Your testimony may inspire me, but I refuse to allow it to frustrate me. You don't see anybody on Christian television talking about their church of 80 that's healthy. It's always got to be a testimony that's out there somewhere, fastest, biggest. See, I, I, I've listened to Darwin share his testimony, being a drug addict for, for eight years and all the drugs he put in his system, but in one night he got set free. And we rejoice. But I realize when he shares his testimony, there are people out there that have been Christians 20 years and they're still battling addiction. And they love God. I, I get so frustrated when I see these well-meaning preachers come on television and they, they, well, God, if you just sow into to my ministry, I get a new car, you'll get a new car. You know, and, and what happens is people get frustrated. Be because I've never heard anyone say this, but I'm going to say it again. See, your testimony may inspire me, but I refuse to allow it to frustrate me. I rejoice in what God has done in your life. But I think sometimes when it's always the bigger, the better, the best. I was in a meeting, and, and there were some well-known people there, and I was in the back room, and I was speaking in one of the sessions, and they were going around the room. It's like they're trying to outsign and one another with what one guy will have a, you know, a nickname for my angels and someone else, a prophet, stuck his head through the wall and spoke to me last night. And, and I hadn't anything supernatural lately that really happened that I could come up with, so I just made something up. No idea. I, I said a guy came to my meeting last night with no head, and God gave him a head. I didn't know what the... They all looked at me like, what? But... 
Paul said, I know a man 14 years ago, he said he was caught up into the heavenlies and he saw things that he couldn't even tell and he was asked not to tell. And, and, we, and Paul didn't even say it was him. We can't keep a revelation for 14 minutes. You know, in what I went through, there were three times I had encounters with God and the rest of the time there were nothing. It was nothing. But I'll never tell anybody about one of those encounters because it's so personal. And I think there's some things that God does in our life that we don't need to tell. And the reason I, I want to be vulnerable to you, people don't want to hear from somebody I've been through something. They want to hear from somebody who's been through something that's come out the other side. See, watch, and, and I, I'm, I want the worship team to come, and I'm closing, but listen to me. See, when you lose faith in God, th then you lose faith in yourself because you say there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. I, I didn't have enough faith. I didn't pray long enough. I didn't give right. You see, I must be bad. I must be evil. God, you need to fix me. In some cases, you know what happens? People, they lose faith in God. They lose faith in themselves, and they leave church. They leave because we have created a theology that causes people to walk away from God. Well, Don, you're just keeping it real, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going to talk to you. Listen to me. We have created theologies because we've reduced God to a formula. God's no respecter of persons. He's a respecter of faith. He did it for me. He'll do it for you. Well, just because he gave you a jet doesn't mean I'm going to get a jet. But that's the way I hear some people. I turn on TV. I, I listen to some of these guys, and I'm thinking, it's hurting people, sir. It's hurting people because people are listening, and then, you know, so right now, and if you give this amount, your granddaughter's going to be saved. And I see some precious senior. And, and the, the sewing principle is, this man right here preached on it as, as well as anybody. I, I really mean that. Pastor Don preached on it as well as anybody there. But it's amazing. The principle, it, it works and it's right. But man takes and perverts it and it can cause injury to people. Because people all of a sudden, you know, are going, I did all the stuff, but it didn't happen the way they said it was going to happen. Why did it take eight months of hell? Why did it take eight years to have a kid? See, there's something about the instant miracle. It's awesome. We praise God for it. But there's also something about the journey when you go through something and, and you come out on the other side because of the process, it changes you. I'm a better husband. I'm a better husband. I stood at this men's conference a year ago, and I opened up with the men. I said, you know, I was a star athlete. It was about me. I got saved two months old in the Lord. They had me up preaching. It was about me. I got married. It's about me. I had to look at my wife. I just said, you know, Cindy, it's been too much about me. I just humbled myself. If nothing else, 208 has made me a better husband. It's made me a better dad. When someone comes up to me and says, Donnie, I, I've struggled with depression. I used to think, well, I nothing to be depressed about. I got the victory. I'm walking in victory. You need to walk in victory. But when someone says that to me now, I understand. I've been there. You know, preaching what you don't know is like coming back from where you haven't been. And I, I thank God for all these young preachers, but I don't listen to anybody under 50. No, 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 no. I got people talking about child raising. They didn't even have any kids. One guy, he brought great teacher on how to raise kids. He's not even married. Guy came up to me uh, a week ago with his wife, and he goes, hey, Donnie. He goes, man, I, I got a great marriage. Oh, I'm just my wife is here. I'm so faithful. And I said, how long have you been married? He said, a year. I said, shut up. Don't even talk to me a year? Great marriage? It takes time to build a great marriage. It takes time to build a, a ministry. A, a strong, it takes time. You know, I listened to, I was preached for Brother Jim Symbol when I was back there in New York. 
you know, this great man of God that's written all these books. He's 70 years old. One of the most humble men I ever met. And he gets up and he just shares out of his wisdom and wealth and talks about how one of his daughters had walked away from God and talks about going through that and what it meant. I mean, I want to hear him. I want to hear somebody been married 50 years and been through all of it and still married. I don't care about somebody come out on Jay Leno, been married five times, telling me how to have a good marriage. You kidding me? I want to hear from somebody that has some battle scars or experience that have been through something that you look at and go, hey, I trust them. These guys that stand up and say, well, take it by faith, bro. I've never had a problem. I never, I'm up on the mountain. I just stay on the mountain. The only time I come down to valleys, help somebody. Shut up. Shut your pie hole. You, you are not being honest. All of us have got stuff. All of us have been through something. All of us are in this journey together. And we just start being real and just saying, hey, man, we're... I'm not you and you're not me. God's taking you another way, but don't lose faith in him. Don't lose faith in him. He's going to come through. Would you bow your heads, please? God, we've laughed today. We've cried. God, we've, uh, Lord, have so much emotion. What's going on in our nation? The recent tragedies. And God, people are throwing their hands up and they don't even know where to turn. And God, I pray for that one that's here today that's in the middle of a difficulty. God, they're not even thinking about presents under a Christmas tree, Lord. They're just trying to figure out how they're going to make payments at the end of this month and all the responsibilities that are in their life. God, this is the most exciting time to live. The politicians, they don't know what's going to happen. The economists, they, they're void of answers. Our college professors, they don't know what to do. Jesus, when you said these things are going to come, you told us not to get shook up, but to look up. God, we're the ones with the future. Jesus, you're our future. There's a rapture in our future. There's a heaven in our future. There's streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl, a city where your love never ends. God, we have a future. But right now in this earth, God, help some people today to get their fight back. Fight the good fight of faith. What's a good fight? It's one where you know how it's going to turn out. God, great God. I'm just wondering if there's somebody here today that you've never put your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've known about God or you've come to church, but you've never received Jesus into your heart. I'm not going to stand you up because of time. I'm not going to call you forward at this moment, but I am going to pray for you. Maybe you're visiting today. You're here. And God's speaking to your heart. And I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray with you. If you're here, you said, Donnie, if I were to breathe my last breath today, I know I'd go to heaven. I know that's the majority of us. But maybe there's one here, two, three. I don't know that you don't know for sure. And today, you'd like to receive Jesus Christ into your heart. If that is you, would you just slip your hand up? Let me see it and just put it back down. You don't have to hold it long. I, I just want to know that you're here and you say, Donnie, I agree with what you're preaching. God bless you, ma'am, in the back. You can put your hand down. Is there someone else? Just raise it up. God bless you. Anyone else here today? You say, Donnie, I'm.